0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Step Outside Podcast. This is your host, Christy Keel Blackman with the Department of Forestry, Wildlife and Fisheries at the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. Today we are joined by Shauna Fix. She is an MS student studying under Dr. Gus Engman, and she's going to tell us about her research on an endangered fish species that lives here in Tennessee. Welcome, Shauna. Thank you. Let's start off, why don't you just tell us about your your thesis research that you're working on?
1: Yeah, I've been working with a fish called the Laurel Days. They are only found on Walden Ridge in Tennessee. It's about halfway between Knoxville and Chattanooga. They are originally only found in about seven streams up on the ridge. So they are what we call a very narrow endemic. Um, we only find them in those streams, the only place in the world that they're found. They are, their populations are rapidly declining due to poor development, poor agricultural practices, climate change, you name it. So, the recovery plan put together by the Fish and Wildlife Service for the fish, which is required for every endangered species, came out a few years ago. And one of the recovery items on that plan was to do a life history study. So, we want to look at reproduction of this fish. We want to figure out how many young it can produce. We want to figure out when it spawns. We want to see how many year classes there are. So in order to do a life history study on an endangered species, we have to use what we call a surrogate species because a life history study requires sacrificing specimens so that we can bring them into the lab and dissect them. So I am using a similarly related species that is found Pretty close to the Laurel dace, but not within the same stream systems. So I'm using the Tennessee dace as my surrogate. So we've been collecting them. And how do we know that the Tennessee dace is a good surrogate candidate? Researchers have done a genetics study on all of the species of chrysomas to see how genetically related that they are. The closely related species to the laurel dace is also a federally threatened species. So we can't use that one. So we kind of had to move down the line. And the next one in line was the Tennessee dace. They are also found within five miles of the laurel dace. So laurel dace are up on the ridge. Tennessee dace are down in the valley. So they will have the same weather, you know, same precipitation, same temperature, and they're in different stream systems. So In this situation, we kind of have to work with the best that we can get. So you
0: mentioned some of the threats to the laurel dace and in your thesis proposal that you sent me, you specifically mentioned that tomato fields present a danger to the laurel dace. Why, Why is that specific type of agriculture so dangerous?
1: Yeah. So that specific type of agriculture uses long sheets of plastic that they run along the entire length of the field. And there will be multiple lines of these plastic rows. So all of that plastic essentially creates one giant impervious surface. And in between these rows of plastic, there it's not usually vegetated. It's just bare dirt. It's silt. So every time it rains, all of that silt is flowing down and into the streams. And even if the field isn't right next to a stream, the silt will run down an ephemeral stream, which is just something that runs whenever it rains. So this species,
0: the laurel dace, is highly infected by turbidity.
1: Correct. Yeah. So they need clean, clear gravel to spawn and reproduce. They also they have really big eyes. So they, you know, they need to be able to see to eat. So any kind of turbidity, you know, they're not going to be able to do any of that. And then the silt, you know, will cover up any eggs that have been laid in the spring. And especially when we've been getting these increased flooding events every spring. We're seeing it, you know, more and more rain, so more and more of that dirt and silt is ending up in these streams. Okay,
0: that's really interesting. So, any agricultural practice that uses those big plastic sheets would, would be an issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, um, you know, we've been starting to work with the NRCS and farmers on correcting some of those issues. It's just a lot about, you know, educating folks on what's in their backyard and how they can help. And most of them are, you know, really want to try and change their practices to to better the environment. It's a slow process giving that, you know, yeah. getting there and, and implementing these best management practices. That's great that people are willing and interested in change, though. That's really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it takes the right group of people to kind of inspire that.
0: So let's talk about your surrogate species, the Tennessee dace. Yes. So whenever you collect the Tennessee dace, what are you studying when you get those into the lab?
1: So we get them in the lab, we weigh them, we measure them. The measuring will help us see how many year classes there are. We're taking otoliths out of their heads. So otoliths are essentially the ear bone of the fish. Each fish species typically has three different otoliths, but we take the sagittal otolith out of the right side of the head. And otoliths generally will grow a ring on them every year, like the rings on a tree. So we have to take that out and they're tiny, tiny, tiny in these fish because these are small minnows. So the otolith's are about the size of a grain of sand. Um, wow. Yeah. They're really small. You have to do it all under a microscope. Okay. Yeah. So we mount them on a slide and then you have to sand them down until you kind of get to the center and then you can count those rings. So those rings are also helping us kind of back up our length data, our length frequency data that is going to tell us how many year classes the fish has. We're also looking at their gonads and we are weighing the gonads. So during the spawning season in the spring, the male gonads are gonna be quite large so you can weigh them. And then obviously the females will be full of you know mature eggs. So these fish are what we call multiple clutch spawners. They will spawn multiple times within one year. So a female will have both mature eggs and immature eggs. Um, And immature eggs are microscopic. They're very, very small. So we don't count those, but we will count all mature eggs of the female just to see how many she has. And then we have been taking diameters of some of those eggs just to see how large they get so that we can compare them to other carcinous species. So all that data is going to give us what we call a gonadosomatic index, which is going to show us when these fish are at peak spawning time. So we can take that data and then apply it to the Laurel Dace and say, okay, if the Tennessee Dace is peak spawning time, then the same climate is this, we can say, okay, the Laurel Dace is probably doing it about the same time. We have a general idea when the Laurel Dace is spawning, but we don't know for sure. Okay. So that's, you know, some of the data that we can use for management. Interesting. How accurate do you expect the Tennessee
0: Dace data to be in reference to the Laurel Dace?
1: Right. Yeah. That's a question I get a lot. (laughs) You know, it's it's not the same species, so it's sure. not going to be exact. And we right. don't know for sure because, you know, we can't go out and collect laurel dace out of the wild. So so we've taken habitat data from Tennessee dace and the laurel dace so we can compare habitats and kind of make sure that those are similar. We launched hobo loggers to take temperature over an entire year so we can compare that data to kind of make sure that that's similar. I can't tell you for sure that the life history of the Tennessee Dace is going to directly apply to life history of the Laurel Dace. But, you know, like I said earlier, it's kind of the best that we can get. And this has been done before on darters down in Alabama. So it's, you know, it's a method that's been accepted by our community.
0: With the thought that what's good for one fish is similar to what will be good for the closely related species.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, correct. Once you
0: collect all of this life history data from the Tennessee Dace, What are you
1: going to actually do with that information? It's a lot of information. (laughs) It's a big data set. So we will compile all of this information and then... I'm working off of a grant, so I will be sending all of the information that I have learned off to the TWRA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and say, you know, these are my management, management suggestions for the laurel dace. And this is some of the change that I've seen. So like one of the things that I have seen is that um, so right now our federal permits allow us to start collecting laurel dace for surveys in June. And the data that I'm seeing from the Tennessee dace is that these fish are spawning through June. So we need to leave them alone in June. Mm-hmm. And that permit change needs to be that we can't start or anyone can't get permitted to start collecting or surveying these fish until July. So that's kind of one of the things that I think is going to come out of this is see some of that management change. Yeah. And further protection
0: efforts. Very cool. That's all really fascinating. And I would do want to ask you about what you do full time because I think that's yeah, really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I work full-time for the Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute in Chattanooga. I got this job because I did an internship here back when I was in my undergrad. So I encourage any students listening to be involved, get internships. They are so important. This world might seem really big, but this is a very small world that we live in. So we talk, as professionals talk, um, we know who are good people to work with and So the more you get out there in the field, the better.
0: If someone in the public is interested in in this work, how would they follow along or what would you suggest they do?
1: So anyone is interested um, in kind of following along in what we do. The Tennessee Aquarium is very active on their social media channels, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. We do have an exhibit of Laurel Days at the Tennessee Aquarium, um, which is really exciting. So we can kind of showcase the needs for protection for these guys
0: well we want to thank shauna for taking time out of her busy schedule because not only is she a master's student but as she said she also works full-time at the tennessee aquarium so thank you shauna for your time and your insights on this endangered species that we really need to look out for and thanks to all of our listeners for joining we appreciate you, and we hope you'll join us next time when we speak with another one of our grad students. Thanks.